The True Ambition Podcast with John Zink is brought to you by IT Avalon. IT Avalon, IT staffing and professional services done right. Visit our sponsor at itavalon.com. Now, welcome to True Ambition. Hey everybody, welcome to the True Ambition Podcast. My name is John Zink, and uh, I'm honored today to be joined by uh, my friend Emerson Hart, uh, singer, songwriter, and uh, lead singer of the band Tonic. Um, he's joining us today from Nash, outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm, that's right, my man. Good to see you. Good to see you too. So uh, we might hear some noises there in the background. He's got a Six month, almost six month old son Liam, who's uh, enjoying pears. Yes, he is. He is getting a. He, uh, looks like they're just wrapping up. I'm, I'm going to give it to you like the inauguration. Looks <laughs> like they're just wrapping up eating from the pears, and they're about to start walking down the hallway into the other room. Well, hell, Joe might be in uh, enjoying some pears right about now too. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> could be, could be, but they're soaked in delicious success. <laughs> big difference, big difference. So, birthplace uh, for Emerson is Washington, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and I grew up a New Jersey boy. Mm-hmm. And, Moved to uh, Jersey when I was three. Okay, so uh, I think there's a. Uh, a, a song on the new album that's about New Jersey called First to Love. Mm-hmm, it I is. mean, it, it sounds like New Jersey when the when you start playing the song. Yeah, man, it's, uh, you know, I grew up in the a couple towns away from where Bruce grew up, and we used to see him at the grocery store when I was a kid, and my sister would sneak me into Stone Pony shows. Um, so Monmouth County, New Jersey is pretty much the boss Country, it's boss country. It's you. It's, so that that song is totally an homage to to um, how much I learned from him. Definitely as a writer, as a kid, just being exposed to that great music. You can totally hear it. And uh, like I said before, lives now outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Irish Catholic. Mm, up, not not Irish Catholic. Oddly enough, oh, Irish went to Irish Catholic school. Ah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a. Episcopalian, I'm a Church of England guy, actually. So I would okay. be a Northern, Northern Irish Catholic, I guess, in a way. <laughs> but uh, I was raised Presbyterian, and I'm somewhere between a Presbyterian and Episcopalian. I love the Catholics. I love the education I got. But uh, whereas my friend said, the, the, the Catholics are the best because they have the most rules. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, married and mm-hmm. uh, two kids. Mm-hmm. Um, how old is the daughter? My daughter just turned 13. Okay. Um, she's from my, my previous marriage, and she is uh, she's wonderful. She's sweet. Uh, I'm having to kind of learn a little bit on my feet. It's it's there's been quick changes when a girl turns thirteen. There's a lot of quick changes. Just a lot of emotional things that uh, are different. And um, you know, she's still my little girl, but I I'm reminded that I grew up in a house with uh, my mom and my two older sisters. So this age is starting to become very familiar with me. So I hide a lot um, anywhere in the house. I just hide. <laughs> <laughs> so um, now your new son named Liam. So is Liam a uh, family name? It is. Um, it's my wife's family name. Uh, her father, her grandfather uh, was first generation American. He was, his brothers were born in Scotland. So his name was William. 
Scott, the Irish version of William is Liam, okay. pretty much. Uh, so Liam, Edward is his second name, which is after my grandfather, Edward at uh, Atkinson the third. And then Alden is his third name, and that is for his Mayflower family, which is my 20, uh, I'm 14 generations from John and Priscilla Alden from the Mayflower. And so that's his Mayflower name. And then Hart, obviously, is for his crazy uh, Irish name. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. I, I know from uh, our uh, conversations in the past that uh, you, you're big on family history, um, mm-hmm. history in houses. I know the, the house that you live in has a lot of history behind it. Uh, so we'll get into that in here in a few minutes. So uh, your wife, doctor, correct? No, she's a practitioner. Okay. Which is, which is, to be honest, not to insult the doctor, but it's, it, it's really darn close. <laughs> you know, she's, um, she is a practitioner. She works uh, at Vanderbilt University Hospital here in Nashville, Tennessee, okay. which is a teaching hospital. She is uh, one of the heads of the trauma unit, um, which deals with the worst of the worst, pretty much. And she's a team of, I think there's five or six um, practitioners on that trauma, uh, on the unit there. And how, how is she dealing with all of the uh, COVID uh, pandemic well, that's going on? I mean, how, they, they are the frontline folks. I mean, how, how's she dealing with everything? It's, it, it's been difficult. It's been difficult. There's no easy way to say it. Uh, I think uh, for her in the way that, she, you know, people not necessarily coming in with COVID, but people still get, still get stabbed people still get into car wrecks that you know those are the people that show up and now they test them for covid they're testing them in the cars before they get there then they have to isolate them she's been um uh volunteering you know in the covid unit um because there's people are just getting sick i mean people who work there um she is now on her second she finished her second round of vaccination so she's good um but, you know, she also has to be real careful. I mean, when she comes home, it's closed off at the door. And it's, you know, she's got to shower immediately. There's no touching the boy. There's no touching me. There's, We have to run it kind of pretty much like a, you treat it like, the, like a military operation, you know. And hopefully that's enough. Did she deal with any uh, side effects uh, from the uh, vaccination? No, she was one of the lucky ones. She felt nothing except a little bit of arm fatigue, you know, which is normal. We get that when we get the flu shot. Um, and then the second, uh, a few of her friends got, you know, side effects of like the flu. Yeah. Uh, but she didn't get anything. She was fine. You know, so she's, uh, my wife's pretty tough. You got to be to put up with you. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> that's my, the God's honest truth <laughs> so now you had a health scare not too long ago I did yeah I was uh, I'm a real big proponent of people going and getting their physicals uh, guys over the age of 30 just go do it Yeah, 30 every two years four, 35 every you start once a year um, and I went in you know and I'm an ex smoker I smoke cigarettes for a lot of years yeah, and I'm now 10 years tobacco free and um but I still have to get a chest x-ray a chest x-ray every year and so I went in and he said you know what my my general practitioner was like this this year let's do a uh uh just like a quick like CT scan cuz the x-rays are good but this is the technology that we have and it's available to us it's not more expensive let's just use it 
And um, so I did. And sure enough, they he said that your lungs are clear, but we found a huge mass um, on your left adrenal gland. And I was like, okay. And of course you get that news. I'm like, fuck, I got cancer. Right. And that's, that's where our brain, our brain immediately goes there. And, um, so I, I went in for a MRI and, um, they were like, yeah, it's a mass. It's rather large. It's about the size of a man, uh, like a large racquetball pretty much. Um, and so we're going to have to go see a surgeon. My wife, obviously, God bless her because of her job. She, you know, I was in there in 24 hours, like meeting with the, you know, uh, Carmen Solorzano, who's one of the top oncology surgeons. Um, and she is a, a professional with the, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the robot, which is called Da Vinci, which is a robot that actually does the surgery. The, mm. the surgeon is driving the robot, but it's, it's an insane piece of equipment. Seven arms. Um, it looks like something out of a out of a movie. It just doesn't look real. Right. But it's real. And so she said, "Look, it. I don't know what this is. We can't test it because if we break it and it opens up in you, that could be really bad." Right. So we're gonna we're gonna do what's called a PET scan, which is where they shoot you full of radiation, and then you get a CT, but it's moving radiation through your body, so it can see anything that's abnormal in there and it was just that that god and she was like that's a good sign she said if i get in there it's too big i can't get it out with da vinci then i'm gonna have to cut you open all the way and i was like okay well you know i'll be asleep so just make sure i'm asleep <laughs> and i want really good drugs when i wake up um, so you know thank god man it's like i it's it's like a joke in my house if i've drop something on my foot or if somebody's complaining about the pandemic and I get it, but it's like, man, at least I don't have cancer because yeah. I've had buddies who've had that and had large pieces of their person removed. And I'm just so thankful to God that that was not, uh, that was not the case for me. You know? Yeah. Thank God. That was uh good news when uh, you, you let me know that you're all better. So uh, you're on the mend right now. Are you 100 percent, or how are you feeling? I'm 100 percent, man. I feel I feel like um, my son is growing quickly, so I'm you know I'm constantly lifting him, and I, he's more long than he is heavy. But uh, I don't. Every once in a while, you know, I feel like a little that weird kind of internal scar tissue like pull, like it feels like I have a stitch. Yeah. Uh, even though there it's there's dissolved at this point, but. Um, yeah, but you know we exercise every day, no matter what the temperature is. Um, we walk. My wife and I, if, if she's not working, if it's just me and the boy, you know, I put him in the stroller and I do three or four miles a day. Have to walk every day. Have to have to keep my brain. If not, I mean, I could I could bonbon catch pajama. You know, I could I could rock that. But um, you know what I'm saying? Like oh, yeah. the mom is just kind of you know at home. And Let's watch Maury. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I you are the father. <laughs> <laughs> so you you and I met at a tonic concert in Reno, and mm -hmm. uh, you were playing. That sounds like the beginning of a really good story. <laughs> yeah. So I'm at a tonic show in Reno, and I bump into this guy. Yeah. So I, I knew uh, I, I knew the uh, girl Jen Dominique who uh, booked all the bands, and I said I'm a huge tonic fan. I gotta meet him. So. Uh, 
that's how I got into meet uh, you guys. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, bigger fan of your solo stuff. Uh, but you know, I, I've been in bands my whole life, and I've sang all those tonic songs in bands. So it was a great honor to meet you. And then you said, I said, well, I, I own an IT staffing company because you would ask me what I did. And you go, hey, guys, I smell a corporate gig. And my <laughs> wheels started turning, and I said, hey, that's a great idea. <laughs> so I think it was like the next week I got back and said, all right, how much? And let's do this. And it was uh, my birthday like the next year. Um, you mm-hmm. were good enough to come out to uh, uh, play my 45th, 46th birthday, something like that. I don't know. I'm old, but it was awesome, and uh, it was a good time. That and, was a good time, man, and I loved getting to meet your friends. Your wife is awesome. I mean, it was it was a, that was a great little trip. I enjoyed it. Yeah, oh, Chris is the bomb. Yeah, she's she's the reason I'm still alive, probably. She's solid. Hold on a second, John, baby. My dog always inevitably when I'm doing any kind of Zoom show, anything, squeaky toy. It's the first. <laughs> I won't hear it. I won't hear it for days. As soon as the camera and the mic is on, they have squeak. to be. They have to be noticed. Yeah, she is. Uh, she's taken a little hard since the boy's born. He's like, what about me? It's like, dude, I'm just telling you, shut up, because all you do is bark. Don't wake up the baby. That was one of the funniest things I heard Springsteen say. He said that he goes when you have when you first get married and you get dogs, they're like the babies, man. You take care of them, you know. You always the dogs. We just go for a walk and we go take trips, take them to the beach. And he goes, and as soon as your first child is born, it just becomes goddamn dogs. It's awesome. 100% true. It is. Mm-hmm. Wikipedia says, mm. you got to tell me it's true or not. Uh, your dad was a singer. And your true. mom was a TV hostess. True. Both true. Now, I found your mom online, and she's a kick in the pants. Oh, yeah. Um, she's hilarious, man. Yeah, it was uh, on her uh, Instagram page. Mm-hmm. Um, now, was there a ton of music and singing in your house uh, when you were young? Uh, yeah, there was. Um, my dad, he was, you know, Irish tenor. Um. I do remember him singing. I remember him singing in the car a lot. Um, I have a very vivid memory of him singing Wichita Lineman. He had this great 74 caddy, uh, black, long, Huge boat. Car. Huge boat. I mean, you know, the kind where you would go up in the back window and take a nap like mm-hmm. when you were a kid. Like, it was, it was an amazing car. Um, and I can remember him... Uh, Smoking a Marlboro Red in a white T-shirt, cinematically with his arm out the window and singing Wichita Lineman. It's a very strong memory I have. Uh, I remember him singing along with Sinatra. That was my first concert. He took us to a Frank Sinatra show at the Garden State Arts Center. Oh my God! I know. I remember that. But uh, yeah, he was he was an amazing singer, man. I, I found a recording. I have a half-sister. He was married before he met my mom, and I have a half-sister and a, two half-brothers who I'm not really close with. Uh, but my half-sister, I, we speak, and she found a whole bunch of old 78s um, in her closet. And uh, I'll tell you what, man. it's uh, I played them, and it's a very surreal 
feeling to hear your dead father singing when he's 19 years old. Do you hear very strange your Irish tenor voice when you're listening to him? Absolutely, 100%. It sounds like a younger version of me. Like I just I listened to it and I was like, "Holy shit, this is really scary." Yeah. But it sounds like it's him singing Danny Boy and it sounds like me singing Danny Boy at 18. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. It is. Uh, my 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 biological father um i didn't find out until i was about 20 years old that my dad who raised me wasn't my dad and i met my biological father when i was 42 years old and uh looking at him across the table from me i'm like holy shit i mean identical twins it's ridiculous Mm -hmm. you know and it's it's something when you get hit with that kind of stuff later on in life and it just takes you back and you know once i had once we had johnny and I'm looking in his eyes, and I can see my biological father's eyes in his eyes laying in the hospital. I'm like, I, my mind was just blown. You know, it's just uh, that the whole biology thing is just crazy. Genes, man. Genes are a, that's a powerful bowl of soup right there. <laughs> so when, when did you first pick up a guitar? Uh... My mom had, and I still have it, it was my first guitar, it was a 1963 Yamaha Classical. Um, I think I probably picked it up when I was six, six or seven. It was around the house, and uh, my, one of my stoner, uh, my sister's stoner boyfriends taught me smoke on the water. I think I remember the first thing, that I, and I think that's probably the first thing that most people of my generation learned. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I remember learning that. And, you know, I had a lot of talented friends, just friends who knew how to sing and play. And so I kind of grew up, uh, you know, hitting the streets like that. But I never really was in a, I mean, I had a band in second grade, but we, you know, we didn't, it wasn't like a band. Like It was just uh, having fun, just having fun, man. And that's let that be a reminder, you know, to everybody like you, you it's got to be fun. It has to be fun. It yeah. should not. Yeah. If it's if it if it makes you, unless you're working on the wall, and you unless you're working on a career record that you know you're in the midst of, and you got to get super deep, super dark to make it. Yeah, it should be fun, man. It should give you joy. It should be a release. It is. It is the one thing that we have that separates us from any other creature on this planet. It is uniquely ours. That ability to create something like that. Yeah, that that ability to convey that to other people and to entertain people and put a smile on somebody else's face. I mean, that is the name of the game. Hell yes. You know, so you were 11 years old when you lost your dad. 10, actually. 10. Mm -hmm. Um, What happened to him? Um, Well, we're not not 100% sure. Uh. He was uh, diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic, um, most likely bipolar, uh, medicated, not medicated, medicated, not medicated. Um, He was looking at a piece of property, and this is when he he moved back to my mother and he had called it quits um, because he was not being a very good father and not being a very good person. Um, So he moved back to Washington, Pennsylvania, or outside of Washington. 
uh, PA, and was looking at a piece of land uh, that he wanted to turn into some kind of a hunting camp. He was an avid hunter. And uh, some people who were involved in the Youngstown mob wanted the property, and so my father just one day disappeared. Mm. And we never found his body. Um, They know who did it. He died last year. Um, But they could never prove it. And there's only one person left alive who was the girlfriend of the guy at the time. Uh, And she's not. She's not talking. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so it's... uh, It's funny, you know, everybody is like, man, you got to watch Sopranos. I was like, no, I've never been able to watch that show because that it's, it's, it's disgusting to me. Yeah. That whole culture. Yeah. It, it makes no sense. I don't understand it. No, it's it's horrible. Um, did, did you as a 10 year old, um, did you know what happened then as a kid? My mother was pretty good about it. When he went missing, um, she got real scared because she thought that maybe he had gone underground. He was going to come kidnap me, take her, take me away. So she pretty much scurried me off to my grandparents' farm in Ohio. Uh, didn't really tell me why. That was a lot of therapy. Um, <laughs> and I was there for two years, kind of in hiding. Um but here's the thing of that uh, is that even though I was there, my grandfather, who was one of the greatest men I ever knew, lived to be almost 100, born in 1895, World War I vet, unbelievable human being. Um, he made sure that I was practicing my guitar. He made sure, like, he did everything that a father was supposed to do when my father was dead obviously at that point but i just didn't know it but john when i tell you it is the strangest thing when you're playing a show when we started to get big and we were playing big shows uh my band uh and to look out in the audience and see a face like an older face with like a white like a beard i'm just like is that my dad like i mean like what what that does to your psyche um and 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 over the years I just kind of adjusted and I was like no you know this is the universe did dealt this card for a reason but I I would have never probably played guitar as much as I played I started writing songs at my grandparents house when I was in 5th grade like I mean these are all things just out of sheer boredom of being in an old you know they had this huge old Victorian mansion um so much so that it had secret rooms in it and stuff like this it was crazy Crazy, crazy, crazy. My family's been, uh, the Lewises have been there since the, well, right after the Revolutionary War. They were like, sorry, we can't pay you. Here's a thousand acres in the Ohio Valley. Go kill everything on it, and it's yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's funny you bring that up because it, I had a um, pod on the podcast was uh, Josh Kelly um, about know, five, Josh, six weeks ago. Yeah, he has the best things to say about you. And uh, we were talking about, you know, kind of how you get to where you are. And one of the things he brought up was he goes, I had to look at all the different angels that had to line up for me to end up where I'm at today. 
And, uh, you know, I, I had to do the same thing with my life. You know, I'm writing a book right now called True Ambition. And it's going back through everything from my dad leaving me when I was a year old to Rich Zink coming in and adopting me, you know, to my mom not telling me about it, mom and dad not telling me about it. It's all these things that just form you into who you are. And then you get to the point where you're grateful for it afterwards and go, holy shit. You know, if it weren't for all of these things happening to me, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to Emerson Hart right now. You know, and it's it's just it's it's one of those it's kind of a, a mind game that you have to play with yourself. Because I, like I said before, you know, God willing, I've been sober for six years and thank God for that because I'd probably be dead. But mm-hmm. I drank over that for years and years and years over these things that uh, when I got to the other end of it, wasn't that big of a deal. But it's stuff that just plays with your mind for as long as you let it. Well, that's the deal. That's the trick with self-medication. And I've been guilty of this off and on throughout my life. <clears throat> Is you feel the pain, so you self-medicate by the self-medication. You're not, you're not actually able to fix the fucking pain. Like it's, It is the worst, weirdest balance you have to walk. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, it is a very strange thing. But uh, you know what? Look, but uh, Josh is right in the way that <clears throat> it's amazing how many things have to line up for certain shit to just work. Well, now, off of your first... Uh, solo release, uh, Cigarettes and Gasoline. That song, Cigarettes and Gasoline, is actually about your father, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Now, my question is, is it easier to write a song about him at that time or to talk about that situation? Writing the song was probably harder than talking about it because when I'm talking about it I can I can play little joke games with myself and go around the the sticky points mm-hmm. that maybe I wasn't prepared to kind of look at or deal with but writing the song the song comes out is it comes from the place like there's no you can't sugarcoat it you can change some words around but it is what it is the truth is the truth um and I think by a, being able to put, this sounds kind of poncy to say this, but being able to put a poetic face on the truth of that helped me understand it better, maybe. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I listened to a few different songs. Another one was called Take Me As I Am. Um, and the song is so personal. And... Uh, it's got to it's got to be when you get through with that it's got to be a very therapeutic thing going through and writing that and dealing with that in your own way you know in your own art yeah yeah i think um <clears throat> i've never tried to hide it i've never tried to hide things in my songs um not consciously at least but i've never i've always felt that they were going to be better if they were wrapped in beauty or wrapped in a in a poetic story i don't know and a poetic story can be tragic a poetic story can be beautiful i i credit the long hours not to bring my grandfather back into this but the long hours i spent as a child in his study in his library he had a very large library with walls and walls of books and um 
<clears throat> I would spend every rainy afternoon reading Robert Frost books. And I know that I would not be a songwriter today if it wasn't for that. I mean, just just learning that cadence and, and how it worked. You know? There's a... In all of your stuff, there's a, there's a yearning in your voice and a feeling in a lot of songs of almost losing everything important uh, in, in many of your songs. Um, and it's, 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 it's something that I, I really became a fan of yours because of that, because there's a lot of that in my life, and I think a lot of that in a lot of people's lives because of mistakes we make. And I'm wondering, because of what happened to your dad and because of that stuff, is that something that's always been kind of a part of your psyche, is that I'm on the edge of losing it? Do you, have you felt that way for a long time? Because I'll say another thing, too. On this latest album, I don't hear that. Yeah, I think... <clears throat> I think on the on thirty two thousand days, I tried to. Well, number one, I was kind of looking at a story from other people's eyes a few times, so that was that helped. <clears throat> but I think that you know, I was ready to write a record about being happy, telling the story where I come from, being proud that I came from the Jersey Shore in probably the worst time to grow up on the Jersey Shore in the eighties, you know. Um, at being happily married, um, uh, having the house of my dreams, having all those things. Like I, I was, I was okay to just do that because you know what? You got to celebrate. You do. You have to. <clears throat> now, you know, I'm not eating fifties for breakfast every morning. You know, it's not like I'm shitting roses, but it's, <laughs> there's, you got to celebrate the good stuff. You got to celebrate the good stuff. And I think a lot of this record, number one, looking through, telling stories from the, looking back, I mean, like, this is behind me now, but I embrace it. It made me who I am uh, in the way that you were saying that Josh was talking about all the angels that had to line up. Like, all the angels had to line up for me to make that record. Just like how all the angels had to line up for me to write if you could only see. Or, you know, whatever it was, a big pivotal moments in my life that changed stuff. And uh, and I I'll buy them all a drink. There's a lot of angels, but I, but I will. I, I'm good for my I'm good for my word, John Sink. You know I am. <laughs> so speaking of that, so you said before you had some other bands. What was was Tonic your first real band? Yes, 100. percent First real band uh, started at Canner's Kibitz Room in Los Angeles, California. That weird little restaurant called Canner's. Um, there was a little side little bar there, and every Tuesday night. We would go and play, and it was like us, the Wallflowers, um, all the bands that came out of L.A. at that time, because we could eat for free. So we'd stay up all night and play and jam, and um, it was a lot of fun, man, and formed the band out of there, and then just did a residency at, uh, we would do Viper Room on s every other Saturday, and then um, the Mint on Sundays. And what year was that? This would have been 93, 94. Oh, my God. Made the record so 95, first one came out in 96. It happened really fast for us. I mean, we toured for about a year in a van, 
and open up your eyes. I mean, the record wasn't out, but the labels in the old days were like, no, you got to go out and work, man. You got to go tour. Like, get get good. So when it happens, if it happens, you're ready. So how and did uh, how, how did you and uh, Jeff Russo meet? Jeff and I have known each other since the, since the city, since New York, since we were teenagers. So did you guys move to L.A. together? Mm-mm, separately. Uh, he moved out there and started a band called Misery Love Company with Aramis... I forget what Aramis's last name. It was him and uh, uh, Lenny Kravitz and Jeff. They were all living in the same loft in L.A. And uh, he left the band. He didn't want to do it anymore. And this is when Lenny used to be called Romeo Blue. This is a long time ago. Oh, yeah. And I lived in the city. This was 80, 84. I moved to L.A. in 90. So, yeah, 84 to 90. But... um. <clears throat> He uh, he left the band, got into a bad motorcycle wreck, and I was running a club called the Hollywood Athletic Club, which I think is still there, but it was a pool hall. I used to work at Chelsea Billiards in New York City. I knew how to run this thing called the Cunique system. It was a computer system. Uh, and I say computer lightly. You know, I mean, I mean like Atari. I mean, like, it's not, you know. And um, so I moved to LA and got a job opening up there because I knew how to run that board, the Cunique board. And um, he came walking in after a motorcycle wreck. And I was like, holy shit, bro. I've not seen you in 10 years, whatever it had been at that point. Because we were child actors together. We took classes together. It was me, him, Jennifer Aniston, uh, Andrea Bendewald. I mean, we were all kind of the same pals. Like we all ran around together in the East Village, West Village, whatever it was, depending on how much trouble I wanted to get in. But um, yeah, so he just walked in and that was that. He was like, what are you doing? I was like, I want to start a band. What about you? He goes, I want to join a band. I was like, all right, let's start a band. So we did, literally. We started it. And then Tuesday night, he was like, I think people start playing music on Tuesdays at Canners. Let's go down there. Went down there, met Jake from the Wallflowers. And uh, I'd be like, that's a great drummer. Hey, man, you want to join my band? Sure, why not? I mean, it was just literally, it all just kind of plopped into place. And, you know, then we were in a van for about, uh, about a year and then we were a lot of fighting Dan Rothschild the original bass player Jeff did not get along and it was awful and then so he he wanted out of the band he left the band and then then uh, he was a, still is and on Dan Rothschild's one he's an unbelievable bass player unbelievable he plays with Cheryl Crow he's played with everybody Cartney everybody he's plays with everybody um <clears throat> He just and couldn't he, play with Jeff. He just couldn't play with Jeff. It just everybody, everybody was fighting all the time. I, you know, being the trying to be the peacemaker, uh, got in the middle of you know. But when when you're pulling up to a gig in fucking South Philly at the Casbah, wherever we were playing, and they, we open up the door of the vans, and, and and like there's just Jeff and Dan are in the street punching each other in the face. <laughs> No promoter wants to see that. He might want to see that on stage to sell tickets, right. but he doesn't want to see that before. So, um, and then so that's when Dan Lavery, the uh, second Dan, joined the band, and uh, and he's been in the band ever since. So, but we, he's the new guy, but really he's not. He's one of the original guys. So Lemon Parade was was that your first recording? Yes, that was my first LP. Uh, it's crazy, man. Did, did did you have a lot of that music written prior 
to Jeff and Dan and all the rest of this stuff? Did you have some of those songs laying around? Yeah, if you can only see was written. Um, Mountain was written. Uh, then when the band started, I think I wrote, I wrote the rest pretty much from that point on. It's crazy because I, I remember when, uh, like I said before, I was singing in a cover band and uh, uh, Open Up Your Eyes we had done. And then I remember If You Could Only See came out and it just blew up. I mean, it was crazy. I, I heard you doing an interview and said that uh, you that wasn't even supposed to be one of the singles that was coming out. It was supposed to be Casual Affair, right? Yep, that's correct. And then it just went nuts. Yeah, they did, we, we had no control over that. We were prepped. Open up your eyes, went to number one at rock. And so they were like, okay, start to pivot. Let's go to rock. Again, casual affairs would be the second one. Then we'll hit them with, if you can only see it, whatever is a third. Kevin Weatherly, who was a huge programmer at K-Rock in Los Angeles, was like, uh-uh, fuck that. He added that song because he thought it was a hit. He was right. He was right. <laughs> Next day, every radio station adds that song. And then that was 63 weeks at number one. I forget how long it was. It was like some stupid. It's the, it was the most played rock song at radio two years in a row. I have, an, I have two awards. It was like BMI first award, BMI second award. It's, it's nuts. It's, oh, yeah. it's truly nuts. You know, and that's. Well, you, you couldn't escape it. I mean, it, it, was, it was everywhere. It was everywhere. And, and, and that's okay. I mean, you know, it was, it was one of those. Uh, it was one of those moments, and I, I'm grateful for it. You know, I'm grateful for it. I heard, uh, well, you should be. It's an amazing song. And I, I heard, I can't remember where it was, but you were doing an interview and talked about the fact that where it came from is you were talking to your mom about a girlfriend. Yeah, I, was, I wanted to get married uh, to uh, a girl, and she was like, you're too young. And... Uh, I was 21. I just moved to Los Angeles. I was like, no, I'm doing this. She's like, this is going to like, this is a bad idea. This is just a straight up bad idea. You do not know what you're doing. I was like, if you can only see the way she loves me, then maybe you would understand. And I hung up the phone and, uh, and I wrote, I literally wrote that song that day. Like I, that's the only way I could process my feels. Thanks mom. uh, Hey, thanks mom for the hit song. Couple, couple million reasons why she was right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but that's you know that's that's all good you know i mean we we uh, we were real mad at each other for a long time but we worked our way back around i think every boy that old saying that says you know when a when a boy leaves home he finds a wife and when you have a daughter she's a daughter for life and it, i think it's a real thing and it's just a real thing like at, at 19 i was like i'm out Peace. see you yeah I mean, I love you and you've been great, but I need to go out there and build my own life. Yeah. I just don't want to have that kid that's like 24 in the basement. Fuck you, dad. <laughs> like, that will not happen. In my house. <laughs> yeah. not happen. I'm not. You need to get a job now. Yeah. 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 So when you guys blow up that big, that quick, um, who, who do you have for? mentors behind the scenes that we were guiding you because that that is just an unbelievable rise so quick who who do you guys have the did you have people that were protecting you and kind of watching out for you or was no it just- we didn't we didn't and i think that's why we there were a lot of mistakes made 
Um, mentorship was something that it should have been kind of hammered into my head. Um, we had a great business manager. I'll give you that. Um, uh, Nick Bamir is, still is a very cantankerous, grumpy, grouchy uh, guy. He's no longer our business manager, but uh, he's since retired. But uh, we just didn't have... And I didn't know any better to look for it because I didn't have a strong father. You know, like I didn't... I know that sounds like poor me other than my grandfather, you know, but... I just didn't think about it. And I think it would have been nice if I would have. But you learn, here's the trick of it, is that when we started to get successful, especially being from Los Angeles, man, we didn't know who to fucking trust. Right. So if somebody came in and said, I'm going to help you, I want to guide you, we would have been like, okay, fuck you. We don't know you because you don't. You know, you don't. You don't trust anybody. And so... Other than Jack Joseph Puig, who produced the first record, I think I learned a lot from him. He was great in many ways. Um, You know, I just tried to rely on within the band, which was probably not so smart because we imploded at one point for a couple years. Uh, And we just never had that thing. Well, you, now, I, you only know what you know, and that kind of meteoric success, I mean, it has to just blow your mind, and the ego has to go through the roof. Man, I tell you, my my ego, to be honest, I it was fine. Oh, good. I didn't I didn't have any of those issues. I I didn't think I was God's green gift or whatever that expression is. I didn't. Uh, I didn't have that thing. I was so terrified that it was going to be taken away. Mm. I actually had the the opposite end. I was paranoid that at any moment this could all end. That was terrifying. You know, and maybe it would have been better to, to better to be <laughs> to be an asshole. And like I don't know, like I look at some of the guys that were assholes coming up with us and I won't name names of course, but some of them still, you know, they're still rather successful. They do good, and and I'm not saying I'm not successful, and I've, I've continued to enjoy the the benefits of my work. But um, it is a strange thing. But I I think I kind of made the choice that it was always wiser to be nice. Um, and I would, whether internally I knew that would come back as a good thing in the long run, I don't know. But I just always wanted to be kind to people. I felt and to our fans to be kind to them. Uh, it was more important to do that um, because I would see most likely that is one thing that I was taught um, by another songwriter young in my career was uh, who you see on the way up, you will see on the way down. So don't be an asshole. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter if you got a trillion dollars or a dollar. We're all ended up in the same fucking place. We're all ended up in the fucking dirt. Yep. That's just what it is. So, um, you know, I think I, I think I was really lucky in that way. I would have loved to have had a mentor, though. I think I probably would have made some better choices here and there. But I, di- I didn't. So now, you know, if younger artists, if I meet them and I'm writing with them and I see a decision about to be made, I'm going to say, look, I'm not your father. Let me just tell you my story. If you could only see was huge 
And it would be huge if you could play, if you could only see Forrest right now. I could do that. I, I can do that. That'd be awesome. All right, let's play If You Can Only See. That's All right. Let's play it. If you could only see the way she loves me, maybe we'd understand. She says she loves me
Who was that singing background vocals? Oh, that was Phoebe. Yeah, she's, a, she's <laughs> my dog, Phoebe. She is the mistress. She's been on, uh, she's been on a lot of recordings, actually. You'd, you'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> she's on 32,000 Days quite a few times. <laughs> We're like, what can we put there? I don't know. Just leave the bark. Whatever. Who cares? <laughs> what's, uh, what's the guitar you're playing? Um, this is a Ketma. Do you know this company? It's Ketma Elite. I don't. Sounds beautiful, though. Yeah, they're they're um, unbelievable guitar makers. A buddy of mine turned me on to them, and uh, they have three different kinds. This is the Venetian Cutaway concert one. Uh, I have a Parlor, which is a little bit smaller, but still great. Um, and then they make one other style. But the great thing about these, especially for the online stuff, is it has built-in electronic on it. So it's a constant resonator. Oh, yeah. So I don't have to worry about, I don't have to use amps really anymore. And it's got a great, it's got good delay on it and all that good stuff. No, it sounds it, great. Yeah, they're, they're crazy guitars, man. And I mean, even the delays. Man, it's, it's literally just going through the wood of the guitar. It processes it and puts it right back out the sound hole because it's just a guitar. And when you turn it off, I mean, it's, it's great. It's like it's a great guitar. But where are they out of? Uh, I think they're Japan. I don't know. It's a good good question. I don't know where they're made. They're not. I know it's not an American company. That's yeah. for sure. Because it would be <laughs> you wouldn't be able to afford it. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So, so you guys released three more albums and a greatest hits after Lemon Parade. Yes. Everybody knows the, the second album came out uh, that had some big hits on it. You guys did soundtracks, did a whole bunch mm -hmm. of this stuff. Um, now, the last two albums, th there's some amazing songs on there, on those two albums. Uh, Head On Straight, Take Me As I Am, I Want It To Be, Release Me. There's more than that. Um, but you guys didn't get as much play after that. Was, was the record company not behind you guys or what was happening yeah, there? Because th th those are, that's some amazing music. And I, I realized I had to go back and revisit them to find the music afterwards. I mean, there, there's the, that song head on straight is gorgeous. You know, and I had nice. to find it afterwards. Yeah. It, uh, it was, it, we, we got a, you know, once again, mentorship. But uh, I think that we, the first record did so well, AM inherited us because we were on Polydor. We were on 20 different versions of a label by the time we were done making records on majors. We got thrown around so many times 
And uh, I mean, head on straight, which I think is Tonic's, in my opinion, is Tonic's best record. I think that was that record. We made it with Bob Rock. It sounded exactly the way I wanted it to sound. All the vocals were exactly where I wanted them to be. The lyrics were right. Everything felt right about that record. It was nominated for two Grammys, Rock Vocal of the Year and uh, Rock Song of the Year. And it was not in stores. Like the label could could have given two shits. No, it's amazing because the, the songwriting, the recording, everything. I mean, it's just from beginning to end is just a great album. Thanks, man. And yeah, it's they, just, it's ridiculous to me that I had to go find it afterwards. I mean, I think I found that after I found your solo stuff. Yeah, it was, it's my favorite record and I'll always love it. And it's like one of the, it was also the best experience I ever had making a record. Bob Rock was one of the greatest producers I've ever worked with. And that's no slam against Jack Joseph Puig. He's, you know, he was great and he helped me cut my teeth and really taught me a lot. But there's something about Bob just, you know, I mean, fuck, he's made some of the greatest records. He's just a great producer. In your songs, there's so many references to water. Um, Rain, hurricane, storms, seas. Trolling the ocean, lightning, island. Do you feel a connection to the water? I do. I uh, grew up on the shore in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was every bit of my morning, every bit of my afternoon, every bit of my evening. I mean, I saw it every day of my life. You know, uh, summers, winters, working on lobster boats, uh, digging clams, whatever the job was. It, it, you know, it was always a part of my DNA. Yeah. And uh, Tennessee is a unbelievably fine, lovely state, and I love it. And I'm proud to call it home, but it's the one thing that I do miss terribly is I do miss the ocean. I miss being able to walk out of my door, walk 100 yards, and be in complete in, in, a, in a place that I have completely no control over. The ocean is just something that is... That is proof of God to me. And when I look at the ocean and I see the sea and I, how vulnerable we are when we're out in it, in the storm or wherever it is, that is, uh, it's just such a thing. It's just a thing, man, you know? Yeah. I just, I, I, I went back and I was doing the research for this and I just, so many times it goes back to water and different water things and mm -hmm. uh, just kind of uh, had that come up. So, Cigarettes and Gasoline was released right when I moved to California. And uh, I was going through a divorce, had met Carissa, mm -hmm. and uh, that's when uh, you know I found Cigarettes and Gasoline. And there was so many things in Cigarettes and Gasoline that were talking to directly what I was going through, going through a divorce, finding somebody else. And uh, it, it was just something that really resonated with me in a big way. And, uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier in the podcast, but moving through to your current album and you're in a place where you're happy. I'm also in a place where I'm happy. And uh, it's, it's really fun for me as an artist or, or as a fan to mature with an artist. And I've got you... I've got a couple other people that I really admire and listen to and kind of 
go along with the storyline. And it's amazing for me to have you along for the ride and almost be this uh, kind of (laughs) the soundtrack to all this shit that I'm going through. And I think that's a big thing with all fans for artists like yourself who keep making art, who keep making music and keep us entertained because, you know, I work a nine to five. I own an IT staffing company. Yeah, I love playing music, but I haven't recorded anything for decades, you know, because my life went a different direction. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, it, it's really just something that I wanted to pay, you know, just kind of a tribute to you because you've been there for all of these things for me. And I think so many people are just like me. They're, Favorite artists have gotten them through so much. It got me through a divorce. It got me through getting remarried. It got me through a birthday. And then all of a sudden my son came, you know, and it's just, it's an amazing journey to go through with people like yourself who keep making music. So please keep making music because for people like me, it's almost like the air that I breathe. We need it. Oh, thanks, John. That's very kind of you to say. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't take that lightly. It's, I'm glad I, I am so honored that I was part of anybody's soundtrack. I'm just grateful, you know, and if I was part of yours, that's great. And just as I was to, I am, as a kid, you know, certain records were like, that was my get through. You know that they 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 understood me. You know, yeah. not funny. That's the great thing, and that's that's the power of music, my friend. That's what I love about it. And you know what? I was speaking to another artist friend of mine who's he's like, man, I really want to make a solo record, but who fucking cares at my age? <laughs> and I was like, somebody does. You care, so that's the first thing. So just make it. What is it like? You don't have to go out and stock cds in a store just make the record and put it online somebody will care and it's 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 the same reason i'm doing this podcast because somebody will need to hear the things that we're talking about mm-hmm. you know because uh, there's a lot of people on here just you know just like with you we talk about some things on this podcast that are uncomfortable and it's to help other people you know mm-hmm. um for your friend who's wondered about making an album, go fucking make it, you know, it's going to help somebody, you know? So speaking of helping somebody, Chris and I got to dance, uh, at my birthday party with you playing a song that is actually our family song. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's one of the songs on your solo record, um, that's called hallway. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you actually, uh, wrote out some lyrics, uh, handwritten lyrics, and uh, they're hanging on our wall uh, with our family. And uh, this song means everything to us. So uh, if you could play some hallway for us, that would be amazing. I would love to. All right, here's hallway for you, buddy. Thanks, bro. Thank you. 
looking in light through these pictures of you. Time takes a toll on a photograph I must remember to take care If we had to do it all again Then we'd do it Cause it was worth it All of life's set of victories Are hanging on our hallway if there ever comes a time when this world tries to pull you away I'm hanging memories in our hallway Your baby pictures, us holding hands yeah, yeah. Your first Christmas, your mom and your dad hey, yeah, yeah. Smiling faces of the ones who loved us Gone from this world, but they live here And if we had to do it all again, then we'd do it Cause it was worth it comes a time when this world tries to pull you away I'm hanging memories in our hallway And all the little nicks and scars What was mine and what is yours well, Someday they will come a time and all that's left to photographs Little frames of a life we once had If we had to do it all again Then we'd do it Cause it was worth it All the lives and the victories Are hanging in our hallway Better part of the life we've lived is captured in these windows. And if there ever comes a time when this world tries to pull you away, I've hung some memories in our hallway. Holy better goody. Awesome, bro. Thanks, bro. So, um, who's your favorite band of all time? Shit. Oh, Ed said it's the Breakfast Club. That's that's our <laughs> 80s band. <laughs> <laughs> um Man, I don't know. I don't know who would be my 
favorite of all time. I mean, good God. I mean, that, that that's really hard to say. There was such different parts of my life represented different parts of things. I'll give it probably, man, I don't know. The Beatles are really hard to top. Like the Beatles really were such a teeth breaker for me. Yeah. And yet rock and roll, Aerosmith before Pump was like a real. Toys in the Attic. I mean, come on. Toys in the Attic is one of the top, my top 10 records of all time. Oh yeah, when I got into a band and started playing, I mean the the song "Toys in the Attic" on drums. I mean, oh my god, just amazing, dude. We, you know what, Tonic? We have done that live a couple times, and it is awesome. Oh, it's so much fun. Oh, Joey Kramer. I mean, just one of the best drummers ever, dude. I've I have become good friends with. Um, Brad Whitaker, his son Graham. Okay. He's, he's a sweetheart of a kid. He's in a band called Tyler Bryant and the Shakedown. Great band. And uh, anyway, so I used before COVID, we would always do New Year's Eve, and Brad would always be there, and I would just sit there and be like, Brad, can you tell me about the time? <laughs> Graham would be like, dude, you're making it weird. I was like, Brad, could you could you tell me about the time that Stephen OD'd? And, uh, <laughs> is is Uncle Salty? On Toys in the Attic? Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, that, that, that song is so good. Salty. Uh, outside My Window. God, so many great songs in there. And I was trying to explain this to somebody. And this is doesn't necessarily relate to how things should be in the world. But the last show I saw them do when I lived in Jersey was Done With Mirrors. Okay, that, was, that record was... Everybody, this is when Stephen was would go on a bender and then wake up three days later in a hotel and then look out the window and realize he's across the street from his house, like that that kind of that kind of drug abuse. Um, it was one of the greatest shows I've ever seen, and then I saw that I have seen them twice since. It's just not the same. Yeah, I, I can't explain it. It's just not the same. It's it's a great band, Steve. Steven Tyler's still a great singer and a hell of a good human being. And Joe Perry's still unbelievable. But when they were about to break was really when they were at their best. Well, that's rock. In my that's rock and roll. Yeah. I and, mean, and I, I tried to explain that to somebody the other day uh, about getting older and just how, how strange it is to, to grow older. And, but you can either grow older and fight it and make it weird. Or you can grow old with grace, which is what we should all do. Right. And uh, he was like, yeah, but like back in the day, man, when you were like blowing shit up. And I was like, yeah. I said, the funny thing that I've come to realize is that when I was acting my worst, I was lauded as my best. <laughs> and I said, and that is the strangest thing to realize. When I was just a disaster, I was a genius. <laughs> The minute I was, the minutes, the times when I was doing the right thing, meh, is there? Whatever. Everybody does. Everybody does. Everybody's a fucking nice guy. Everybody does the right thing. Nobody wants to see that shit. No, exactly. (laughs) It it was uh, Tommy Lee. I remember I drank with him uh, when he was, he came to Nashville. We have, uh, he's not with our management anymore, but my management company has uh, Fleetwood Mac and a bunch of other great artists. And, uh, Tommy was there when when Carl was still working with Tommy, and we spent a very long night at a bar, and it was 
I, it took me three days to recover from what was probably an every night for him. And uh, it was Billy Gibbons, me, Tommy Lee, uh, and a few other unmentionable folks that were there. And I remember him saying to that, we were talking about, this is when all the social media stuff started to come on and like started happening, you know, and like dealing with social media, how to do that. And he's like, man, people don't want to hear about you cutting your fucking yard. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know what? You're probably, well, fuck yeah, you don't. Nobody wants to hear that shit. You know? but at the end of the day, it, it has kind of become that. Like if you, if you're, if you were trying to be Tommy Lee, then now you'd be fucking jail, bro. Oh yeah. No, <laughs> like no. you're you're out. Culture be like, nope, cancel. <laughs> so was, you cut your fucking grass. <laughs> so what what's it like going out with Billy Gibbons? I mean, that, that's got to be like. Uh, do, do you know him, or were you just out with him? I oh, same management. Mm. Um, I met Billy. I gave them, there's a society or a, a organization called IEBA, which is the International Entertainers. I don't even know what it stands for, but it's all the promoters from all over the world. Once a year, they come to different cities. Usually it's Nashville. And like uh, Ezra Ray Hart, my, the side band that I do with Mark uh, from Sugar Ray and Kevin from Better Than Ezra. Um, we did a huge show last year there and it was a blast. And it just gets an opportunity for everybody to see it. So IEBA offered the Lifetime Achievement Award to ZZ Top. And they, Carl, our manager, one of our managers on the team said, I want you to write a speech and come down and present the award. And I was like, fuck yeah, I will. Like, <laughs> you're to meet those guys, you know, because I'm such a fan. LaGrange was like, you know, there's no beating that record. Right. And um, so I, I, I wrote this award, uh, this speech, and talked about the records and how they'd done it. And, and uh, I realized, so they, they give me the award backstage, and it's like this pineapple that sits in this class, and the pineapple is not connected. So you have to be really kind of careful. Like, it wasn't screwed in or something. I don't know what it was, but then, you know, so I got to have to hand it to Billy. And so I say the thing, and they take pictures, I'm smiling, and then I lean over and hand the award. And he's sitting there, and he's, he takes it, and he thinks, thanks, brother man. He takes it, he holds it, and he goes... He leans in, he goes, hey, man, I think this fucking thing's broken. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I immediately fell in love with him. I was just like, this guy is my hero. And, and I've seen them many times. Uh, Billy was at that night. He was actually in the back of the restaurant making burritos. Like he loves, he just was like, no, 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 you're not doing it right, man. And he went back there and he just made, they closed the bar and just made us all, he made us Mexican food all night. It was great. I watched uh, I watched a documentary about them on Access TV or something. It's been, been together for like fifty years. Oh, dude, and he's like he's little. Like I forgot. <clears throat> I saw them for their anniversary show last year in Dallas. I flew down because one of my favorite bands of all time, Bad Company, was opening up the show, and I was like, oh my god, this is two stones that I cannot. Miss like I have to see them together. Grew up a huge Bad Company fan. Never got to see them live because it just didn't time out. Uh, my sister was a big Bad Company fan, but she never brought me to those shows. So Paul Rogers, one of the greatest rock singers, top Ever. five. Just I, I modeled so much of my voice from him, and 
So I'm seeing, I'm seeing there, I'm watching him, and I'm, I got my buddy John, who's a songwriter who wrote a lot of uh, 32,000 Days, his recent record with me. And we're watching the show, and he's a Texan, and he was just like, man, it's fucking him up. I was like, oh, God, it's Jesus Christ. So the show's over, we're backstage. Here comes Paul, walking off stage. I was like, oh, fuck, here he comes, man. I'm about to meet my legend. I'm about to meet my legend. And he walks up, and I was, he was like, he was like, hello. And I was like, oh, hey, good to meet you. Good to meet you, Paul. <laughs> I didn't realize that he was from the fucking Shire, man. Like, he's tiny. <laughs> and, but it's so funny, because, like, as a kid, like, Paul Rogers is, like, 6'8", like a yeah. monster, you know? And he's just, like, this beautiful, wonderful little guy. Were his feet, he, were his feet hairy? No, they were, I, didn't, I didn't get that close. Anyway, but I, I was so nervous. Like, I didn't know what to say. I was like, bitch. And love your voice, you know, like, what a um, but man, it, it, but it's the same with all the, the guys in ZZ Top. Like, Billy is tiny, like, he's little, he's like a little piece, he's little. Ronnie James Dio, tiny. Ronnie James Dio was tiny. We shared a, a, a rehearsal hall together, and he was like hobbit height, like, he was little. little. That's crazy. crazy. I, I, I was so, um, I think it was uh, Jimi Hendrix said that Billy Gibbons was his favorite guitar player. Dude, that guy, he, he's a legend. He's a legend. And, you know, we're starting to get to the age now where our legends are passing. Yeah. And it, it, it sucks. I mean, two years ago, Chris and, and uh, all the people that were just dying, just dying. Yeah. No, it's it, it's crazy to get to this age, and all of a sudden, you know, of course they're getting to 70, 80 years old. They're going to die, you know. So it's uh, it's. I went with a friend down to the forum. I think it was the forum down in L.A., and they had a a show for Chris Cornell, and uh, we went down there, and it was just amazing. It was like. Four and a half, five hours of just amazing Chris Cornell Soundgarden music, and it was so. Yeah, I heard, it, I heard awesome. it was spectacular. Yeah, the the interesting part was all of a sudden Miley Cyrus came out. And we're like, what the fuck is Miley Cyrus doing here? And she came out and blew everybody away. Dude, that I'll tell you what, man. She is a she is a secret weapon. Oh yeah, this new record is is banging. It is a she. During the pandemic, well, we're still in the pandemic, but when she went on SNL and did uh, Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd, oh, yeah. I was like, God damn. Like, you just, you, you forget the world she comes from, even that we always have the party in the USA pop face. And that's great. I get it. There, there's a place for that in the world. But, man, this, she, she's a baller. She is a baller. Do not be fooled. Well, she was on Howard Stern, and she did a, a cover of Doll Parts by Hole. Mm-hmm. I mean, her voice is unbelievable, you know, and it is just so gravelly and raspy. It's amazing. Next time we're together, we hang. Um, I can't talk about it on the podcast, but I have a great story about Courtney Love uh, and and Chris from the Black Crows, but I, I cannot discuss it on the air. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but, we, but when next time you and I catch up, I will tell you the story. All right. Sounds good. So um, your new solo record, like we've talked about before, is called 32,000 Days. Who's that about? 
Um, that's about my stepfather, uh, Arthur, who came into my life when I was about 13, 12, 13. Um, great guy. Grew up in New York City, World War II vet. Um, tough as nails. Young spirit, young at heart. Um, really was influential in the way that he always made sure to give me cash to go buy records. And was just, he was like a uncle dad, like if that makes sense. Like he just was so, uh, it still is, he's still alive, still with us, 94. Um, you know, grew up in, in, in the Bronx, lied about his age, joined the, you know, Navy at 15 years old. And just wanted to go and defend, you know, fight for his country and see the world. And did. Came home, uh, you know, Golden Gloves, uh, Merchant Marines champ. Um, hell of a guy. I can remember him when I was a kid breaking up a mugging. I'd never seen him in that situation. You got to remember New York City in the late 70s, early 80s was not so great. Right. It was not Disneyland that it has become um which is fine it's it's a safe city and it should be nobody wants crime but uh he literally just pulled over the car we he, we were coming back from jersey he pulled over the car got out of the car and i watched him just pummel two guys who were mugging this old timer just pummel them knock them cold onto the ground got the old guy up got him on his way got back in the car didn't say a word i just my mouth was up i was just like <laughs> I was like, did that just happen? He goes, you can't do that. That's not, that's not right. You should do that on the street. You can't just pick on some old guy like that. Those fuckers. You know what I mean? Like, that is this classic New York, you know, it's the Bronx it's thing. Just such an amazing generation. Those people that came out of the war, came out of Vietnam, came out, came out of all of that stuff. You know, and it's like our generation, I swear to God, I've said it before, I haven't had to fight in my life for anything more than a parking spot, you know, and they had yeah. to fight for real things. <clears throat> 32,000 days, this song, and uh, it, I think you're going to play it for us. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the things you're talking about in here? Is this really just going into a, an homage to mm -hmm. Arthur? Or is it everything about his life? Or what's, what's the song about? It's, it, it is about his life. There's no doubt about it. It is a story of him in his 90s now. Uh, it's a story about that journey, what he has seen. Um, and, of course, there's some liberty in there. I mean, because it's art. You know, we, we, we write the story, but... Um, The line in the song where he says, you know, I'm looking down from the top of that hill. Is the view just going to stand still when I die? Like, have I done the, have I made the right choices? You know, he's in, you know, in a thing in his life right now at 94. Like, he's the, he's the last one standing. Like, he has no friends. Mm -hmm. That's it. They're all gone. Even the ones who, he used to call it the tears. He goes, I would hang out with my, my friends, and then a lot of them didn't come over for the war. They died. He goes, so then I started hanging out with my little brother's friends. And they died. Then I hang out with my sister's friends. And then they've all died. He goes, I ran out of tears. I ran out of the tears. Like, there's nobody left. Mm. He goes, I'm the last one standing. Wow. 
and it's uh you know he's he's very funny he's he you know he's being responsible with the with they live in south beach and he's being real responsible with the wearing a mask and stuff like that but it's hard for him because he's like if it wasn't for your mother he's like i don't fucking give a shit <laughs> he's like i don't care <laughs> He's like the Germans didn't kill me. You think this thing's gonna fucking kill me? That's the same. I swear to God, it's the same thing that my father-in-law said. He goes, "This didn't kill me. That didn't kill me. You think this is gonna kill me?" He goes, "If it does, I don't care." Yeah, <laughs> you know. So that's just how he. You know, that's his approach on life. And 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 I, I was like, pops, look, he, he you know, this record was a total homage to him. A lot of this record is just his journey, and our journey together. And and that was important. Like I gave him producer credit on it because I wanted him to have that. You know, I wanted him to have that kind of legacy that, you know, just let him know, yeah, you weren't you weren't my dad. Like you weren't my bio, my biological father, but who fucking cares. Like right. that doesn't doesn't mean anything. You know, it's like it's it's the work you put in. That's what family is. Yeah, exactly. And one of the lines in here that I love so much is when the lights go out, have I earned my standing O? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a uh, great line. Sounds like he would never want a standing ovation. But no, he, he could give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> he could give a shit. He'd just, he just be like, as long as you invested your money, right? Don't let him want to die with something you here. Well, why would you buy that when you could get it for half price? <laughs> I remember the first time when when I was going to get married for the first time, he he was like, are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> you know how expensive that is? <laughs> like, Pops, it's not about money. <laughs> he goes, it's a little bit about money. It's a little bit about money. <laughs> well, will you play that song for us? Yeah, absolutely, man. I started walking And I started thinking How will I know It's a mouthful of minutes You stumble and you're in it Man, when you're in it It goes where it goes Looking down from the top of that if you just gonna stand still When the lights go out Oh, I earn my standing oh. When I move from here to ghost What's gonna matter most? The wrecks, the breaks That one night in Marseille I did 32,000 to take away but there's no demanding you're the last one standing who do you tell is it all just something just good for nothing is there a pride Ringing the bell Looking down from the top of that hill As if you just gonna stand still When the lights go 
two ghosts What's gonna matter most The wrecks, the breaks The things I could not say I did 32,000 days What's the takeaway? It's a long way to travel when the wood hits the gavel How did I do? Am I leaving it believing That I'm leaving it at even Cause it's a hell of a thing It's a hell of a view Looking down from the top of that hill There's a view just gonna stand still when the lights go out, oh, I hear my standing home. Cause when I move from here to ghost, what's gonna matter most? The wrecks, the breaks, the ones that could not stay. I did 32,000 days. What's it take? Just gonna stand still when the lights go out of my earn my standing home. When I move from here to ghost, what's gonna matter most? The wrecks, the breaks, the lives I could not save. As I did 32,000 days. What's the takeaway? in that one my man so good <laughs> so i was it was taking me back to uh, i was coming home from a hike the other day with johnny and right at mm -hmm. the end of that song there's a very high haunting ooh and johnny just started singing along with it and he just kept on singing afterwards I'm like oh this is freaking perfect oh man that's great <laughs> that is awesome yeah it's like <laughs> oh yeah 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 so i appreciate you being here um, I'm going to end the podcast the same way we end every one of them. So this is called true ambition. And, uh, the quote that I took to create this is true ambition is not what we thought it was. True ambition is the profound desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God. When I heard that, uh, quote, when I read that quote about five, six years ago, kind of changed my life. Knowing what you know now, been through what you've been through today what is your true ambition moving forward both in your personal life and in your professional life my true ambition in my personal life is to cherish respect and love the gift of being a husband and a father that importance that is my ambition to make the right choices for my family that are quality choices.
not financial choices. Right. For my career, it is my true ambition to find a plateau of honesty that fills me so much that I will do it if there was one person there. Does that make sense? Like feeling that I want to, I want to make sure that that jar is full of, for the right reasons. Makes total sense. And I love it. You know, cause it's the, it's the same kind of thing that I'm feeling, you know, as I get older, you know, getting close to 50, it is exactly the way I feel in all of my life. If I can just get to that point where I'm helping one person, Mm-hmm. My life's full. I'm good to go. Right. So I appreciate you being here, Emerson. And uh, it's been a great podcast. And uh, I can hear Liam back there in the back. He's awake. And he, uh, he, he took a little cat nap, and now he's, he's ready for some grub. All right. Well, you guys take care. Take care of the family. And uh, we'll see you next time. All right, John. Good seeing you, man. Thanks, bro. The True Ambition Podcast is brought to you by IT Avalon. For more information and links to other episodes, please visit www.trueambition.org. Now, go find your true ambition. Ambition.